I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Matt here. Guess what's happening on this week's binge list? I think this might be my favorite Australian drama of the year. It enraged me. It made me feel so angry. I got really, really, really watching this. Well-constructed mysteries, well-constructed scripts, the acting's fantastic. She's such an awesome, underrated legend of Aussie TV. And it's directed by Ben Stiller, which I found interesting, and it's not at all funny. Um, And some people might say that about Ben Stiller's films. They do. (laughs) I always wanted He-Man and She-Ra to get married. They were brother and sister. Welcome back to Binge List. I'm your host, Matthew Denby, and joining me are Who Magazine's TV experts, Gavin Scott and Claire Rigdon. Welcome, guys. Hello. Hi. This week, we're talking about the Blake Mysteries Without, Craig McLaughlin, new SBS boxing drama On the Ropes, and some contentious gender politics in Is Australia Sexist? In TV news, we've got SBS and ABC's Upfronts for 2019. Plus, we're talking Escape from Dannemore and Netflix's new version of She-Ra. But first, former ABC favourite The Blake Mysteries is back on November 30, this time on 7. It's set in a new era and stars a new lead, with Craig McLaughlin's character Lucian missing in action after the actor's recent off-screen troubles. It's quite the brave move to reboot a show in this way, but is it any good, Claire? It's really good! I don't know about the rest of you guys, but I had super low expectations for this because it was really always going to be quite tricky to... uh, to do this show with the spectre of Craig's absence hanging pretty heavy over everything. But unlike House of Cards, which, uh, as everyone knows, frustrated all of us Mm. without the space dog, um, I didn't feel as though there was anything lacking for Craig not being in this. In fact, okay, this might be controversial, but I actually liked it way better. And, yeah, I I really liked the fact that Jean, obviously played by Nadine Garner, and Alice, who's her um, forensic sidekick, are now sort of front and centre in in the action. And without giving anything away, they're actually sort of pretty much are responsible for solving the crime of the week that's in this telly movie. So, yeah. Um, but one thing that did feel a little bit weird, and I don't know if you guys agree with me here, was that it took about, and I counted actually because I, I went a bit Gavin on myself, and it, it took 56 minutes for them to address Lucien's disappearance yeah. directly which I thought was a bit weird, but they actually did handle it quite well in the end. And, um, and you know, there's a hint of perhaps he's not dead, perhaps he's just missing and yeah. buggered off, which I thought was really interesting. But, um, look, I reckon Seven would be absolutely crazy not to renew this for more. And so I'm just going to say well done, Seven, because not only have you saved a really great series – They've actually saved a heap of people's jobs. Mm. So I'm just, I'm thrilled that I enjoyed this. What about you guys? What about you, Gav? 
Well, I have a confession to make. I have never watched the Dr. Blake Mysteries. Oh, oh no. I've never watched Miss Fisher. Um, I've watched <laughs> the odd Midsummer Murders in my time, but that's because I had to review it. Um, so this was completely new to me. I, I've never seen it with Craig McLaughlin in it. So obviously I didn't feel his absence from a viewing point of view. Yeah, right. But I did find it very odd that, yeah, it, it took 53, 56 minutes to actually mention the name Lucian and then give an explanation of where he was. But I liked that. Because I wanted to know. I was like, are they going to yeah. mention him? Uh, are they going to talk about this? Is it like the elephant in the room? What What's going on? So from that, that side of things, I did enjoy that it wasn't in the first two minutes this big, awful exposition about, oh, yes, and since Lucian isn't here, blah, 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 there was none of that. Yeah. They got on with the case. And as for the crime and, and the case and uh, Nadine Garner's character running around looking at police files she shouldn't look at and all that kind of stuff, um, I actually thought it was really well done. It's not the type of show I would normally watch, but it's very well produced, very polished. The performances are great. And it, it definitely will appeal to, you know, that Friday night crime-loving audience who, yeah. who, who will lap this stuff up, including my mum. My mum loves all this, uh, th- these kind of ABC crime dramas and now... Yeah, Seven are dipping their toe in, into this domain as well. On Nadine Garner, she's excellent. I, I really, as I said, I've never watched this before. She's really... So great. Yeah, I don't know if the character has changed at all from the nah. previous version, but yeah, I just love her sticking a nose in where it's not wanted and, and all that kind of thing, but actually obviously knowing, you know, knowing what she's doing and coming up with the goods and all that kind of thing. Because that's what Lucian used to do, Gab. Yeah, so right. he was he was known for sticking his nose in. I mean, it wasn't really his job to help the police solve crimes. He was, And that's what I kind of hated about that character. He's always a bit of a fuddy-duddy stickler, whereas when Nadine does it, um, she does it with a lot more charm and it's almost a little bit more believable because she's she's dipping a toe in. She's like, she's literally coming out of the kitchen and, and having a go at Miss Marpling herself. Yeah, I liked that. Yeah, yeah, same, same. What about you, Matt? What did you think? I thought the production standards on this were fantastic. It looked so lavish. It looked beautiful. Whoever's done the production design and gathering all the antiques and the sort of the retro clothes and all that sort of stuff, they've created a really compelling world. Really, really well done. Well-constructed mysteries, well-constructed scripts. The acting's fantastic. Fantastic. You know, I remember Nadine back in the Henderson Kids, so I'm not surprised she's come this far. She is really, really good at what she does. Actually, I interviewed Nadine Nadine recently, and what I really love is that even though it was 30 years ago, she's still so totally up for having a chat about the Henderson Kids. Yeah. Like, you know, it was so long ago, but she's she thinks about it really fondly, and we were having a bit of a laugh about the fact that she co-starred with Kylie Minogue and, like, all these, all these people that popped up on that show who've gone on to have really long, amazing careers. She's such an awesome underrated legend of Aussie TV. Yeah, I think it's time maybe Channel 7 should do a, a Henderson Kids catch up with them as adults and their kids are doing, doing oh my the business. God, yes. It'd be amazing, wouldn't it? Yeah, but back to uh, the Blake Mysteries. I love the way that they gave it a sense of time and place in the 60s by, you know, uh, at the start you have all that stuff going in the background about how JFK's just been assassinated and it really gives you a sense of time and place because obviously we've jumped into the 60s now with this show. Look, I think that it's going to be a big hit with the audience. I don't think that a lot of people are really going to miss Craig. Now, I'm not having a go at Craig's performance in his last show, but this is just so well done without him that I think all this 
essential elements that made people love the original show. They're all still in place, and it's all so beautifully done that I think long-time fans are really going to enjoy this, and I'm going to say it will definitely be renewed, I think. Wouldn't you say so, Gavin? Yeah, well, I think there's three more telemovies planned, aren't there, as far as I know? I think that they... We're going to do four. This one's called Ghost Stories, uh, and they've kind of dropped this before the summer season. So I guess we're going to get three more next year. But, yeah, it really could just run and run and run. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, listeners, if you're keen on the Blake Mysteries, it airs on November 30th on The Seven Network. Binge List, brought to you by Who Magazine. SBS continues its reputation for producing edgy contemporary drama with new series On the Ropes, which begins on November 28. Set in the rough-and-tumble world of women's boxing, it stars Keisha Castle-Hughes and Nicole Shamoon and touches on a lot of hot-button stuff like gender issues, generational conflict, multiculturalism and sexuality. What did you think of it, Gavin? I really like this, and I know I have said this several times in this podcast, but I think this might be my favourite Australian drama of the year. Wow. And I, to be sure, I actually watched more than one episode before saying that, because unlike with <laughs> Picnic and Hanging Rock and Picnic. Pine Gap and Fighting Season, Pine all these other Gap. ones which we raved about, and then by episode two I was like, mm, yeah, maybe not. I've watched three episodes of On the Ropes, and I would have watched the fourth and final one, but it wasn't available to me yet. Um, and I've really enjoyed it. it. It's really good. And, yeah, Matt, you said it touches on all these issues, but it's not um, – you know, it's not weighed down by these issues. No. It doesn't hammer you over the head with, yes, we're, we're um, Muslim. Or, yes, it's about women trying to get ahead in sport. Mm. They're elements of the show, but it's actually really just a family drama. Um, so it centres around Amira, who is played by Nicole Shamoon, who is an aspiring boxing trainer. And boxing is kind of the family, well, it is the family business. Her dad is a former boxing champ, and he now trains uh, boxers at his gym in Sydney's West. One of her brothers is a fighter, and the other brother helps out with the business as well. The only one who doesn't work in the business is mum. Uh, and, and it's about how... Uh, Amira is kind of allowed to be on the periphery of the family business, but she wants more. She wants to train her own fighters. She wants to set up uh, bouts for them. And, and, you know, she really wants to go somewhere with it. So the fighter she's working with is Jess, played by Keisha Castle-Hughes. And Jess has uh, this son who's, I guess he looks about 12 or 13 or something. And I was looking at Keisha Keisha Castle-Hughes going, is she old enough to have a son that old? And (laughs) she's in in her uh, late 20s now, I think. Right. And, uh, you know, because obviously we all remember her from Whale Rider when she was so young. Uh, And, and yeah, she is. I did the maths. And she is old enough to have have a kid. I think she has a kid in real life. She does. Yeah, she does. Right. Right. so yeah, so Jess, e, Amira is trying to get Jess ready, get you know, get her ahead in in the boxing and and get matches for her and that kind of stuff. And her dad is not happy; he's standing in the way. So it's it's a classic family drama where the daughter's kind of going against dad, and uh, you know the brothers get caught up in the middle of it, and the mum and all that kind of thing. And uh, uh, in the background of all this is the fact that uh, yeah, it, it's in Sydney Southwest. They're from the Middle East. There's Muslim characters. There's all all sorts of things. There, there's uh, Jess is a lesbian, uh, and 
they're just there. They're not issues. They're not, you know, you're not hammered over the head with them like some shows would do. They're just elements of the show. Uh, and I found that really refreshing. The other thing is it, it is a sports drama. It's about boxing. But like all good sports dramas, it's not all about the sport. There's a few boxing scenes, but it really is about Amira's fight to set herself up and, and her ambition and all that kind of thing. Now, there's only four episodes, so the storyline does move quite quickly, which, of course, I love. And the only downside of that is there are a couple of things that happen a little too easily and a little too quickly, like Amira finds this great training space that kind of just drops in her lap. Yeah. And I kind of was like, oh, okay, that, that was kind of easy. Where, where's the, the challenge in that? But that would be my only complaint. Um, and, you know, really, I would prefer a show to, to move and, and get on with it and tell its story rather than to take five episodes of her trying to find somewhere to train her fighters. Uh, so, yeah, I would wholeheartedly recommend On the Ropes. Claire, what did you think? I really lo- I loved it. Yeah, like you, Gavin, I wasn't expecting to. I think we need to talk about Nicole Shamoon, actually. So she's popped up in a few things this year. Romper Stomper, another show that was very massively hyped and fell way short of all the excitement. And Safe Harbour, which was actually a really good show, and she was really great in that. But I think that this character she plays is my favourite of mm. the ones that she's done so far. This girl, woman, she's not that young anymore, is, is she's such a talent on the rise. She's really, really great in this. And what I loved about it was that, yeah, as you say, they're not ramming issues down your throat. It's, it is very much a family drama, but it's this great peek into a world and a culture that is quite removed from me. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I'm very white middle class I guess and um yeah so it was kind of really interesting to get this this little peek into um this boxing kind of dynasty and and um migrant family and yeah it was um it ticked all the boxes from that kind of SBS point of view you know it's multicultural it's diverse it's you know tackling a range of subjects but but it's just done so well and at the heart of it and this is the reason why I think everyone should watch it it's a really good story mm. it's just a great story done well which is what all Aussie dramas should be a good story done well full stop doesn't matter what you're doing just get a good script editor get a good script get some really great actors and there are stacks of them in this country and I don't know why Nicole Shamoon has taken this long to become as big as she is because she's fabulous but just do it get it made so yeah I, I, I recommend this and Matt what did you think? I loved it and I think it's a testament to what a great script this is and what great performances there are that it got me interested in a show about boxing mm-hmm. I have zero yeah. interest in that world zero yeah, totally. interest but it was really really good and I also like that uh, Amira wasn't just a two-dimensional heroic sort of progressive stereotype breaking down expectations yes. because she was also quite selfish and not that progressive in some ways the way that she undermined Jess's relationship just purely for selfish reasons because she wanted her to perform better in the ring she didn't care about yeah. her personal happiness love that thought it was really good nuanced writing one little thing a minor little niggle that really annoyed me was when they had this little subplot where the members of the family were talking to relatives in Iraq and it was just so screamingly obvious that all of these Iraq scenes were just shot in Sydney somewhere <laughs> um, now I don't pretend to be an expert on what every inch of Iraq looks like but it was just really obvious and it was annoying. I mean, I'm not expecting them to film in Iraq. It would have cost a lot of money, but they could have been. And a bit also, more they literally couldn't have, Matt. 
<laughs> oh, this is true, but I, I think they could have been a bit more creative with those scenes. I really do. But there's a good range of characters in the family. We have some really good generational conflict, which is always great for uh, uh, a drama. Um, yeah, the dad's great, isn't he? The he guy is. That plays the dad. He's he fantastic. Is. It's so good that we've got a contemporary drama that's working. Um, instead of, um, uh, you know, an endless stream of retro dramas and sort of uh, bush dramas, uh, country town dramas, which are, which are all fine. But like a good urban Australian modern drama, we really need more of that stuff. Wouldn't you say so, Gavin? Oh, oh definitely. And this could be kind of any family. It, it doesn't have to be a family from the Middle East or a Muslim family. No. I mean, you could have traded all the actors out and it could have been a white family or an Asian yeah. family or a Greek family or anything. Um, and yeah, they'd tweak a few of the details, but it would have worked with any type of family really because it's about the dynamics between the yeah the siblings and between the parents and the children on Nicole uh, Shamoon she seems to be able to play any age from about 18 up to about 35 yeah. she's, she's yeah. really a chameleon in Safe Harbour <laughs> she played a much older character Amira in this feels early 20s to me yeah, um, she's kind of like maybe twenty two, twenty three. Yeah, she's meant to be going to college uh, or uni I and doing a degree. I think she's about twenty seven in real life or twenty eight. I interviewed her earlier this year. She's a really cool chick, actually. Yeah, yeah, and so she can kind of play a, a few years under that, a few years older than that, and she can play this, um, yeah, this, this sporty kind of girl, or she could play someone really kind of reserved in Safe Harbor. Obviously, her character was more reserved and wore, you know, wore a headscarf, and and so fulfilled that kind of role. Uh, yeah, she's really a, a bit of a chameleon, Nicole. So I think she would be great to see what she does next. And I hope this does quite a lot for her profile. Yeah, yeah. Now, listeners, if you're turned off by the fact that this is a boxing drama, don't be. No. It's not that important. It's all about characters and great stories and great writing. So do check out On the Ropes. It screens from November 28 on SBS. TV News. It's TV News time. And still with SBS, the broadcaster will be asking, is Australia sexist on December 4? Hosted by Yumi Steins, this documentary is largely based on a major new survey on sexism in Australia. This one will really get people People talking. What did you think of it, Claire? I really enjoyed it. I'm a huge fan of um, British documentarian um, Stacey Dooley, and this kind of Yumi reminded me of a local version of her, and it made me wonder why Yumi hasn't done more TV. I mean, obviously she was on The Circle and has done various things, Channel V and all that stuff, but it's almost like she's born to to present this type of a show. So yeah, this this is asking the question: Is Australia sexist? Um, and it's looking at a really startling report, which is called the Global Gender Gap Report from 2017, which shows that Australia has dropped down to number 35 in world rankings, which is actually lower than some developing countries for gender equality, which is really horrifying. And in the doco, Yumi explains, um, you know, explains how this may have happened. She examines pay disparity and introduces us to some pretty shocking experiments which um which show the lived experience of how different men how different men and women's kind of experience in the country can be. So, for example, in one we see a woman go to the beach and there's a counter on the screen that shows how many times she gets catcalled by cars driving past, and then it compares it to a man in exactly the same situation. Um, like in another one, Yumi decides to set up an online dating profile, and she, then she reads aloud all the misogynistic, disgusting, disturbing comments that she receives. And, like, there are some really staggering statistics in this show. One of them is about the percentage of women aged 18 to 24 who have basically been um, 
on the receiving end of some pretty nasty misogynistic comments on sites like Tinder. And this documentary just illustrates it perfectly. Like Yumi just reads this stuff out. It's just disgusting. But then she takes the next step of actually meeting one of the guys that's dished out these obscene comments and they pixelate his face. But she essentially goes on a date with him and calls him out for, you know, the reasons why he has said these things. And, oh, my God, the sense of entitlement that this guy exudes in this show. Like, yeah, this is a great one to watch if you've got teenage girls at home. It's a great one to watch with the whole family. It's it, it's a, a, SBS, I've said it before, they do this with, with, with their docos where they have really sensationalist titles. But what they're actually saying is is quite you know, is not nearly as sensational as as you'd think. So yeah, this is definitely worth giving a giving a go. It enraged me. It made me feel so angry. I got really, really, really pissed off watching this. Um, yeah, what did you guys think? Because obviously, you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I thought going into this, it was kind of like stating the obvious: is is Australia sexist? Uh, well, yeah. Is Australia racist? Well, yeah. Um, so I wasn't sure what to expect from it. And, and some of it I found was, yeah, it was kind of giving me information that I kind of knew. But I also thought that's really important as well because we need to keep restating this information. We need to keep getting that message out there that certain behaviours aren't okay and that this type of stuff does go on. And you kind of can't say that enough in in some ways. Um, and so I, I thought... The best bits for me were all the, I don't even know what you call them, the, the little experiments they did, like the uh, the one in the bar where they got two oh, yeah. actors, one to be the bar owner or the boss and one to be the, the female new employee and the boss was a man. And uh, he was just saying some awful things about his employee and, and he was telling the customers that it was her first day. And you'll see on, on the documentary how it plays out, but the types of things he was saying to her and it was nice to see people stand up for the stand up for the woman and uh, tell him, you know, where where to shove it, because often in these situations, yeah, the, the women are so you know it's such, such an imbalance of power that they don't feel like they can say that. It's, you know, it's their first day on a job; they're not going to go tell their new boss to shove it, or, or some would, but a lot wouldn't. So it was nice to see some people standing up for this this poor young woman. Uh, even though it was obviously all, all acting, uh, so things like that, I thought, I thought were the biggest takeaway for me. That it's nice to see that, yeah, not everyone out there is awful, and that there are some people that will do the right thing. Hashtag not all men. No, well, not all men. But, um, but oh my gosh, Claire, that bit at the end where yeah, Yumi meets up with the guy who said the oh ho- my God. the horrible things to her. That was just, and I had no idea that online dating profiles were were, were like that, and, and the interaction between people on online dating sites was that explicit from the get-go oh i know we've actually got some really interesting audio of yumi talking to me about um about this we were both talking about the fact that we've been in long-term relationships for a long time and never really had to do the tinder thing Mm. and oh my god gavin yumi yumi says exactly what you just said that she found it really really shocking and just thought how depressing that there's a whole generation of young women that are just experiencing this I can't even imagine what it must be to kind of turn on Tinder and just get barraged with all those disgusting comments. Like, I know, I know, I know. I'm the same as you because I've been in a relationship uh, for I don't know seven or eight years, so I'm pre-Tinder as well. And that that barrage of messages was really, uh, it was just really unprovoked. Like we didn't put up a provocative picture. We didn't kind of like in any way say something sexual in the in the blurb that you put about your 
hero right after I'd been for a run. Have you experienced any kind of gender disparity or um, sort of first-hand kind of harassment or sexism in your career? Oh, definitely. Haven't, haven't you? Haven't we all? Oh, God, so, yeah. Yeah. Channel V. Yes. Matt, what did you think of the comments these guys were making? Very, the- very shocked because um, like both of you, I've been off the market for quite a while and I'm not exposed to the full force of uh, what people receive on dating sites. That was a moment I was genuinely shocked when she read out all the things that were coming through to her on Tinder. I'm just stunned that I, I just, you sort of think to yourself, do I know anybody who would do that? And you think, you think to yourself, no, I don't think I do, but Surely there are so many people doing it that people have two faces and they must turn into animals when they're on, you know, when they're invisible on the internet and they say this stuff. And why do they do it? Because surely no woman is going to respond to this positively and say, yes, let's go out on a date. So it's kind (laughs) of like it doesn't appear to be a strategy where they think they're going to actually get get any action. It seems to be like like verbal violence, what what it seems to be to me. It seems to be intimidation. It seems to be sex aggression rather than a, a tactic that they think is going to get them laid. That's yeah. an important point that this doco makes is that, um, you know, every time a woman gets catcalled, every time a woman receives um, receives unwanted messages like that, it's, it's like, it's okay, is the next step going to be physical violence? Is the next step going to be my rape? Like, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of that. I heard um, Amy Schumer talking about this. In, she's done a comedy um comedy routine about it and I mean she laughs about it and she says you know when you're walking through a park at night and you go is this my rape will this be my rape and it's like oh my god it's a really brutal way to put it but like and they really there's one girl in this doco who actually just puts it out there and she's like the next step from this kind of extreme verbal violence is physical violence and sexual violence yeah, I think all of the parts of this doco that deal with harassment, especially street harassment and online harassment, are amazing. They will educate people. I thought that I was fairly well informed. It really opened my eyes um, and made me realise the extent of this stuff. It's just disgusting. Yeah. It's horrible. Do check out Is Australia Sexist? It airs on SBS on December 4. Hello, this is Evie. Oh, no, no we should no, do it. We first. should do it. Yeah. yeah. Hi, this is Angie and Evie from Gogglebox, and, and you are listening to The Bin. And in other news, the ABC and SBS have just presented their slates of new shows in 2019. Guys, the ABC has some old favourites returning and some interesting new stuff. What excited you the most, Gavin? The thing I'm most excited is about is that Utopia is coming back to ABC, one of my favourite Australian comedies. Uh, there's a lot of comedies coming back to ABC. In fact, Rosehaven is coming back, Get Kraken, The Letdown, which I know you love, Claire, and I need, to, I, have need, I need to check that out. Someone else recommended it to me over the weekend. Not that I do, don't take your word, Claire, but um, <laughs> I, I do need to check it out. Um, and Mystery Road, which isn't a comedy, far from it, uh, Mystery Road is also returning. Yay! Which, uh, yes, I thought might have like you. So lots of shows coming back. Ando, Julia Zamiro, Sean McAuliffe, all their shows are coming back. So ABC, yeah, sticking with uh, what has been doing well for them. You can't ask that. Employable Me also coming back. But the big new shows are, uh, well, it's it's 
a working title of Black Bitch. I don't know if it will actually be called Black Bitch, but that's its working title. Uh, it's directed by Rachel Perkins, and it's going to star Rachel Griffiths and Deborah Mailman. It's kind of a political dramedy, I think, where Rachel Griffiths is the Prime Minister, and Deborah Mailman plays an Indigenous woman who becomes a senator. And it, it feels a little bit, I don't know, a little bit veepish, a little bit the thick of it, that kind of thing where... Um, yeah, I don't know, because I obviously haven't seen any of it, but just sound, sounding, the, the sound of it sounds like it, it might be a bit like those shows where it's a, yeah, politi- political farce, maybe? I don't know. I don't know. Hard, hard to say with, without seeing any of it, but those names alone recommend it. Um, and then meanwhile, there's going to be a documentary called Will Australia Ever Have a Black Prime Minister? which is going to look at the hurdles for Indigenous people, uh, yeah, becoming politicians and things like that. So uh, lots of interesting things happening in the ABC, and one that I know you will love, Claire, Old People's Home for Four-Year-Olds. Yeah, this is a yeah. I'm so excited about this. This is this is something I've been posting about on social media. There's um a Channel Four series. Um, so they're obviously rebooting it, or are they, or are they just taking the Channel Four series? Do you know, Gus? I'm not sure. I, I took it that it was going to be a local version, but yeah, I could that's be wrong. what I thought. Yeah, it's so lovely where they where they send a group of four year olds to go hang out with the old peeps in the old folks' home. My little four year old goes and does that um through his um kinder down here in Melbourne, and um it's just so gorgeous. Like the old ducks love it. He loves it as well. He's the things that he says to me about old people are just hilarious. Yeah, I'm really excited about that one. Matt, is there anything on ABC's highlights that stood out for you? Look, I really enjoyed uh, You Can't Ask That and Aunt's Brush With Fame, so I'm very pleased that they're both coming back. I think they're great choices to bring back in the new year. Do you like those shows? I, I do like You Can't Ask That. I haven't watched much of, much of it, but um, when I tune in, I, I really like it. Obviously, we talked about it so good. earlier this year. Um, and for me, it always depends on the topic that they're talking about. Um, I mean, the reality ex-reality star one was very good and um, obviously I'd, I'd interviewed half of them before so it was interesting seeing them uh, talking on that Arn's Brush With Fame, yeah and we've talked about that as well, he, he's a really good interviewer and it's a really novel approach to the interview show yeah, yeah, yeah. and over on SBS, one of the most talked about shows of this year, The Handmaid's Tale is coming back, yes. fast tracked Claire, Claire, will you be watching? And what else has you excited about SBS's slate for 2019? Will I? What? (laughs) Of course I'll be watching. Yeah, God, The Handmaid's Tale is still that and Killing Eve are my two top shows for this year. Um, I just cannot wait for that. SBS has got some really great stuff coming up. Um, Oh, throw me some names, guys. Michael Portillo. Well, oh, Michael Portillo. <laughs> Stop it. Michael Portillo. Oh, my God. Him and his purple slacks are coming to Australia, people. Like, and his Bradshaws. I don't know. Is there a Bradshaws guide to Australian railways? Probably not, since we didn't have them built until about 30 years ago. Um, <laughs> no, that's a bit of a that's a bit of a stretch. But, yeah, no, Michael Portillo's coming to do a special on Australia. That's going to be very exciting for, for all his many, many fans. Um, what else is coming about? The, the Good Fight is coming back. Vikings and Nightfall are coming back on the international drama point of view. Um, Slow TV is coming back. The Garn was uh, apparently a success for SBS, which is basically where, I they, watched it. where they stick a camera on a train and you just watch where the train goes. Well, they're doing that again. They're doing four different specials, one on the Indian Pacific, one on uh, – it's called the Kimberley Cruise. Uh, so it's a boat journey instead. Uh, and two others in January. I, I, 
every, every week in January there's going to be a slow TV special. Matt, are you a slow TV fan? No, not Do really. You? No, no. I'm more interested in the fact that we're going to have 63 Up, which I take it is the latest edition of the 7 Up series. It is, yep. Oh, yeah, awesome. yeah. I wonder how much their lives have changed now because I think that show was a bit blighted by the last um, few sort of episodes being um, weighed down by the fact that once people hit middle age, their life sort of doesn't change dramatically in, in many cases. Whereas in the earlier episodes, you saw these dramatic leaps and, and, and turns and so on and so forth. But it's certainly a documentary series that's captured the, uh, the imagination of the world. Were you into it, Claire? Yeah, I love I love that series. I also really um, am excited about slow TV. Do you know when I reckon they should program that is Boxing Day. I know people mm-hmm. watch the cricket, but if you're not into the cricket and you're sort of digesting some turkey from the day before, like how great would it be to just sit down and just, you know, watch some spin effects go by for 14 <laughs> hours? I really, I really loved it. I actually watched more than I was planning on. Wow. Um, yeah, there's something about that. You know, like it's really quite meditative. I love it. Yeah, you know my feelings about shows that don't move quickly enough. I'm not going to be tuning in for slow TV, but I will be tuning in for Mastermind. The classic quiz show is coming to SBS in a local version. They're they're going to take on all those other quiz shows on the other free to air networks by uh, uh, putting Mastermind in the 6 p.m. slot. So it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. And obviously, Eurovision is back on SBS, and this year Australia get to vote on who represents us as well as obviously in the competition later on. But uh, yeah, like in pretty much all the other countries, I think, in actual Europe where they have these uh, uh, voting competitions where you get to choose the act who sings at the main event, we're going to be doing that too. So that's going to be pretty exciting. Matt, are you? I can see your eyes lighting up. Oh, look, I, I like the idea that we can participate this year, but mm. my interest in Eurovision always waxes and wanes depending on the quality of the song that we have. And if we have a great song, hello, Dummy M. Yep. If we have a great song, I'm very enthusiastic. If we have a lame song like oh, a few recent ones that I won't name, I'm not that enthusiastic. Well, that's why we have to have our say. We have to choose which which um, hopefully good song is going to be going to. Um, where is it? is it? Is it Belarus? Junior Eurovision was just at Belarus. Is that? Where oh my we... god! Did you guys watch any of that? I've I've become a little bit obsessed with Junior Eurovision. <laughs> it was on in our house over the weekend. God, they're a bunch of um, singing, dance, and wonder kids. Like, yeah, I've actually really enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm not sure that what that says about me. I'd, yeah, I don't really like it when children sing. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got two kids. Yeah, well, they can go and sing in their bedroom. Okay. Okay, great stuff. Some really good stuff coming up next year on ABC and SBS. To binge or not to binge? That is the question. And Gavin, you've been watching Escape at Danamora, which is available on Stan. What's it like? I have been watching it, and I know this segment is called To Binge or Not To Binge. You can't actually binge much of this at the moment. Only two episodes have been released. It's rolling out weekly on Stan. There's going to be eight all up. So you may want to wait until it's all dropped and then binge it all at once, or you may want to watch it week by week, which is how I'm going to watch it. And yes, I am enjoying it. It is based on a real story about a prison escape, the escape in the title, and Danamora in the title. That's the name of the town where... The prison was located. It's the Clinton Correctional Facility in New York. And this happened in 2015. Now, I actually haven't looked up the details of the escape because I don't want the storyline spoilt for me. 
but uh, basically a couple of prisoners escaped and they may or may not have had inside help. And that's where this uh, the first episode picks up Patricia Arquette's character, Tilly Mitchell. She works in the prison and she's been arrested and she's being questioned about her role in the escape. Did she help the prisoners escape? Was she having sex with one or more of the prisoners? That's uh, the question she's being asked. And then we flash back to before the escape and we see her um, working in the shop where the prisoners are there sewing jeans and that kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, she does duck off into the supply cupboard and gets it on with, with one of the prisoners. And from there it, it, it flows on into the story of, of, of how the escape happened. But what I liked about this, and it's it's an hour episode and it's quite slow moving which for me a kind of normal kind of uh, I don't want to watch a show that takes too long and goes for too long I actually didn't mind it in this because I feel like and maybe it's because it is based on a true story uh, it, it, it moves it moves slowly but it does move and the pieces are starting to fall into place you want to know because of the flash forward you want to know how the escape happened you want to know how Tilly was involved and you want to know um, you know what happened after the escape did they get caught? Did anyone die? That kind of thing. So that the, the uh, prisoners who escaped are played by Benicio del Toro and Paul Dano, and uh, yeah, I mean they're they're playing the real life guys who were um, who were in the prison and, and who got out. And it's, it kind of feels like a little bit like Shawshank Redemption. So I've read that I think the escape is quite complicated. So I, I think it is going to have enough material to stretch it out over the eight episodes. And it's directed by Ben Stiller, which I found interesting. And it's not at all funny. Um, and some people might say that about Ben Stiller's films. They do. <laughs> it, has, it has, But it has a, quite a filmic feel to it. It's a very real-world look. Patricia looks incredibly dowdy. The men aren't hunks. The climate is frozen and depressing. Uh, it, you know, it, it, it's kind of no one wants to be in this place. It looks awful. Everyone looks awful. It's really depressing. Uh, and so it's really the story that hooks you in. And I'm intrigued enough to carry on with this one. Have either of you two checked it out? Yeah, I watched the I'm so surprised you like this, Gavin, because it moves so slowly for me that I was totally not invested. I was really confused by what it was. And yeah, right. uh, I was like, is this, is this Fargo? Is it Shawshank Redemption? Is it sharp sharp objects meets big little lies? It felt really muddled to me. I just yeah, left right. me feeling really meh about it all. I was like, meh. Um, so I actually just cheated and Googled the real life case, <laughs> which was a lot more interesting than this first episode, in my opinion. But yeah, the right. thing that really got me was like, oh, my God, I actually didn't, even though I'd read a little bit about this show, I didn't twig that it was Patricia Arquette in the central character. Mm. <laughs> and then my husband walked through the lounge room and went, oh, that's that chick that can read people's minds. And I was <laughs> like, oh, my God, it is too. Yeah, I didn't love this. In fact, I think I actively disliked it. Wow. I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's prison show because I, I did like Prison Break back in the day and um, Orange is the New Black I like. I, I, I'm kind of fascinated slash terrified by the idea of, <laughs> yeah. of, of prison life and so I think you watch those real life docos about them on Foxtel you know like World's Hardest Prisons and all those ones I've watched some of that what's it called 60 Days In where people yeah, volunteer to show. go in and it's like why on earth would you volunteer to go into a violent that is a, such a good show hey oh it's, oh, it's, it's it. Ter- again it's, it's terrifying and I watched Escape from Alcatraz back in the day and I went to Alcatraz when I was in San Francisco so I don't know maybe I have this bizarre fascination with prisons but yeah for me <laughs> it's not the type of show I would normally watch because it does move slowly but I think the characters are there the characters are interesting and because 
it has that real life angle. I want to know what happened. Matt, did you do you remember the story from the time at all? Was it a big story? There have been know. many, many, many similar stories. There was a similar story in Australia involving a helicopter with a prison oh, guard. Yeah. Yes, yes. So I am a s- sort of tantalised by these stories, and I am my interest has been piqued. So I think I may check this one out. Hmm. So yes, yes, very keen to check this one out now. This week, we've got a special gift for you all. We've got a second to binge or not to binge. And over on Netflix, an 80s cartoon classic is back in reimagined form. Yes, She-Ra, Princess of Power is back. Uh, He-Man's nowhere in sight, by the way. Um, It's (laughs) called She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. This version is less about flogging Mattel toys and has a sort of much deeper sort of social message, which we will get into that. What did you think of it, Claire? Oh, I really loved this. Uh, which probably won't surprise any of you. If, if you were anything like me and Gav and Matt, I totally know that you were. You are probably dashing around the playground in the 80s playing He-Man and She-Ra. Were you? I was a massive, hardcore Masters of the Universe fan. Um, I had Castle Greyskull. But by 19... 19- oh! Oh, did you? I did, but by 1985, when Shearer began, I'd kind of moved on. Um, so I, I, I don't think I ever got into Shearer at the time, oh, and right. I don't think it was a, a boys and girls thing. Um, I think it was because I'd moved on from Masters of the Universe. Yeah. But yes, I, I was right. big into He-Man and and Battle Cat and and Skeletor and okay, all that. Okay, so it was right on my 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 generation. I was seven. <laughs> and um, so I, w- I was running about the playground being Shearer. Sometimes I'd be Battle Cat too. So go figure. But um. <laughs> Look, Netflix have updated this series, and it's really great. Um, it's gonna, it's had a bit of a refresh to appeal to today's kids, so it's got a whole lot more sort of Japanese anime kind of a look to it, um, which is a bit disappointing because one of the things I love most about Shira was her seventies hair flick, which was just so cool. But um, but yeah, like it's it's um, there's still a lot to love about this reboot. Um, and it's had a bit. It's had a bit of a rebirth, thirty-three years on. But the thing that I most loved about it was I watch a lot of cartoons um, with my kid, and most of them I zone out, and you know I just kind of half watch all these sort of Dino Trucks type ones. And um, but I actually found myself watching this because it actually has a plot. Yeah. And it it feels a lot more fleshed out than the original, even. And showrunner Noelle Stevenson has given Shira and her cohort a lot of emotional depth while still sticking to the origin story, which for those who've forgotten is that um, Shira is actually a princess called Adora and she's been brainwashed to fight on the side of evil, the Horde, who, uh, and then she sort of finds a magic sword and discovers her true destiny, which is to fight on the side of the rebellion. So, yeah, the characters are actually really diverse in this and I love that her little mate Glimmer is actually a little bit chunky and a little bit overweight. She's a little bit of a dumpy princess and her mum's like this glamorous Amazon. So I found that very relatable. Matt, over to you. <laughs> Look, I think this is really, really interesting. It's got a lot of um, interesting political and social subtext to it. One of the things that everyone's talking about is how in the original 80s one, all of the characters had really sexualised bodies, like all the women and Shira in particular had like the yeah. hourglass figure and the huge jutting boobs. And all the male characters had the humongous sort of He-Man style overly muscular bodies and almost all the characters in this new version do not have sexualized bodies um and a lot of them have 
um, sort of alternative or more realistic bodies. Like you just mentioned, Glimmer's got a sort of a, a, a quote-unquote dumpier kind of figure. But there are also other characters who – there's one called Spinarella who was quite an hourglass woman in the original show. But in this one, she's got sort of more of a pear-shaped body. And it's a deliberate thing to sort of be more inclusive. Another thing that's inclusive about this is there's a lot of sort of not too um, deeply coded LGBT stuff in here. There are very, very few men in this in this um, show, actually. It's sort of Planet of the Women in many ways. Hardly any men. There is one male character in this, Bo, who is very clearly gay. Um, he's th- trans, though, isn't he? No. He's- I read... I read something online that talked about the fact that when he takes his top off, he's got, like, binding on him, which is almost oh, really? like a... Yeah, yeah. I didn't even I notice know. that, if that's the case. Ah, yeah. So, go back and take a look at it. There's a lot of discussion online about the fact that he could be the most openly trans cartoon character on mainstream TV. Yeah, oh, no, it's really, really interesting. Yeah, yeah go and yeah. check it out. And there's a, an episode later in the series where they have uh, the princess prom where they don't have dates, they have what's called plus ones. And uh, basically almost every couple who turns up is a same-sex couple, although there's not really any, there's no sex in this at all. It's all sort of about identity, which is all quite Tumblr in many ways. But and I, th- I think we're reading a lot more into it than, like, kids will not be reading oh, into look, it. Like, yes. my, my four-year-old will just watch it and enjoy it, you know what I mean? Yeah, there are two ways to look at this. Kids will see it as uh, a fun, inclusive fairy tale where they'll see people who look like them and so on and so forth. Adults, and there is a huge adult audience for this, it's clearly also made for adults. Adults will see things that the creators have 100% put in this. We're not uh, overly interpreting. It's fairly blatant that this is inclusive with sexuality and gender. What did you think about that, Gavin? Yeah, I did wonder when I was watching it uh, who it was being made for and I did decide that it was clearly being made for two audiences, one who could enjoy it on a pure, wow, this is fun, lots of action, lots of um, fighting, or not really violent fighting, but, but you know, that, that kind of stuff, and adults and, yeah, this is clearly made for, for adults to watch yes. and enjoy, uh, who could enjoy the deeper level and then the messages it's sending about inclusion and, and, and diversity and that kind of thing. And I think that's fine. I think it's fine for, for kids to enjoy it on one level and adults to enjoy it on another level. And kids, as they watch it, as they're getting older, they might notice things about it or they might just pick up things without realising they're picking the things up and then take that into their everyday life. And I, I think there's that that's a good thing. I think anything that can teach kids that not everyone needs to be the same, not everyone needs to yeah. look the same, not think the same, that kind of thing. I think that's great. And this does it without bashing you over the head with it. Yeah. Um, also because it's not that violent, but also because it, it's not really preachy. It just kind of gets on with it and, and does what it's... You know. And the plot's good as well, which is which is the thing that I really liked. You know, everything that we've talked about aside, it's actually really good to watch a cartoon that has a proper plot. Yeah, I did find myself when I got to the episode one going, oh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And so I did <laughs> I did let Netflix start the next episode automatically and, and go into episode two. And, yeah, I, I like um, – I used to love, as a kid, watching yeah, shows where there was an ongoing plot. Because, let's face it, a lot of cartoons are standalone episodes – yeah. Tom chases Jerry and then, you know, the next episode starts and it's like the other episode didn't happen and it all just happens again. I like um, a cartoon where there, yeah, there's almost like a plot arc and um, 
there's a mythology and, and there's, you know, from one episode to the next, you have to see what's going to happen because that trains them to be good mm. TV watchers as well. Yeah, yeah. And one, yeah, like we were all trained in the 80s. Yeah. Yeah, and one thing that's good about this, unlike the original series, which was literally invented to sell toys and no, I mean, for no other reason, mm. this does have a deeper meaning. It does have some great writing uh, that kids and adults will enjoy. And you know what? Have either of you seen the Netflix show uh, about toys? I think it's called The Toy that made us and they had an episode about He-Man and it was really oh yeah, yeah it was, I've seen it but I haven't watched it yeah it's really it's really interesting um, uh, they talk about the rise and fall of He-Man and She-Ra and mm. one of the people who used to work at Mattel um, he, his theory was that She-Ra actually killed He-Man because <gasps> um, He-Man Ooh. was going gangbusters until they brought She-Ra out and they, and they had this theory I don't know how true it is that allegedly little boys were horrified and offended that the toy line had been feminised by the fact oh, that their sisters what? and girls at school were buying very similar toys on the Shearer line and they all stopped buying He-Man. Isn't that weird? I but feel- the boys in my primary school were playing Shearer as well. Yeah. We played He-Man and Shearer. Uh, yeah, I feel like He-Man had been around for four or five years by then yeah. and the next thing came along, whatever the next thing was at that in the late 80s. I can't remember back then what took Teenage over from Mutant He-Man. Ninja Turtles. Yeah, yeah, maybe Turtles took over from He-Man and, and things like that. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know about that, but... Um, yeah, I, I just feel like Shira. I mean, both He Man and Shira. The cartoons were ridiculous. Yeah, they they were oh, yeah. they were pretty terrible. If you look back at them now, which I have um, not recently, but I think a few years ago, I was like, oh, I've watched a little bit of He Man. They're, they're actually very camp. But they, yeah, they they were fairly fairly ridiculous. So I think on a storytelling level, this is is uh, a step ahead. But I wouldn't be surprised if they put another toy line out. Oh, maybe, maybe, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. But I think it's going to be a hit. I don't think it's going to be the, the mega phenomenon that the original He-Man and She-Ra were. I mean, it is. It, we are in a fragmented media landscape now where not as many people yeah. are going to see it. Um, and there aren't toys out already, so who knows? Who knows? But I, think I always it, wanted He-Man and She-Ra to get married. Well, they were brother, brother and sister. Ah! <laughs> what does that say about you? And, and can I say... Where is Prince Adam in this? They've written Prince Adam out of this backstory. Well, I'm yeah. glad he's not in it because might I, can I just say that Shira was always the one who had the good story, the fact that she was working for the evil horde and then she turned good, whereas yeah. he was just a generic prince who had an alter ego. How boring is that? He-Man sucked. Shira was always the one who, who had the good story. Who's the cat? Cat Dort? No, what's her name? The cat one. Catra. She was cool. Catra, Cat- yeah. Yeah. Catra, yeah, she was always really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so if you haven't already checked out uh, She-Ra and the Princesses of Power, it is on Netflix, so do check it out. And that's it for another episode of Binge List. If you enjoyed this week's episode, make sure you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or via any of the major podcast apps. Join us next week when we talk about what to watch over summer. It's going to be a really good episode, so do check it out. Until next week, everyone, happy viewing. Bye. See you guys. Binge list. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.